So there was often times you've got this crazy like this paparazzi thing happening but people knew where you were going because people were already yeah. tracking your phone yeah, yeah. like yeah and you didn't know all this no and then well they try and cause yeah. mayhem within the group so you yeah. know you've got beckham and myself and then you've got two sas commandos and you've got two ex-cuban you know fidel castro security secret service agents yeah you know these are highly skilled operators yeah you know and there's six of us that know where we're going beckham myself and these four and we get there and only six of us know where we're going, but we get there as 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people, including, you know, paparazzi. Wow. So, you know, then within the group, people start going, someone here's leaking. Yeah. Some of the best learning you'll ever do will be traveling. Give yourself space, time to creatively think, to learn, to meet people, or take a vacation with your family. Give yourself that time. And there's no better person or people or company to help you than the people at Tripadeal. Their experienced agents will look after you from start to finish. They will plan your flights, your accommodation, your car, your excursions, whatever you need. If you want to plan a trip of a lifetime, Tripadeal is the place to go. Tripadeal.com.au Welcome team. Today I'm bringing to you one of the most fascinating stories. One of the most fascinating stories in sport but in life. Uh, a top five book at the moment is called Riding Shotgun and it's the autobiography of Andy Burnell. A story of, like we mentioned off air, immigrants in the yes. 1960s. Spanish immigrants. Spanish that immigrants out, yeah. that came out and then their son became the first Australian to ever go and play professionally in Spain. The country that they, they had to leave. They, they had to leave. Yeah, uh, so. That alone, and even let's respect the history of football in Australia, you were, you were the first person to do that, to play in Spain. There's not many yeah. have done it since. You were no. the first person to captain a football team in England. Yeah, um, um, there's been some have done it since. There's a lot of firsts for you. Can I just throw straight to you and you tell me how it all started? Let's go to your parents. Well, thanks for having us on here because I, I think you do a wonderful podcast and... Uh, um, I'm just very grateful to, to be able to share my story, but um, yeah, it, you know, I, I decided to write my book, Riding Shotgun, um, because one, I, I didn't think that, that, you know, we in Australia have done football history well. You know, I think the NRL and AFL and, and cricket, you know, do their, their past pioneers and, and players, you know, way, way better than, uh, than what we do in, in football. So part of mine was to, to tell my story. Um, which I think is, is, you know, if you're talking about immigrant stories, it's, it's one of the greatest in, in, in Australian history. You know, uh, uh, two, two people come out on a ship, you know, from, from Spain in 1961, you know, land in Melbourne, uh, get put in immigration camps, and, uh, you know, a quarter of a century later, their, their son goes back and, and becomes the first Australian, first Socceroo to ever play in, in, and sign for a La Liga club, which is... Um, you know, at the time, you just do it. But now I sit here and I'm very proud of that. And, and it's a pretty big achievement, you know. And, and um, you know, and a lot of people didn't know that story. And a lot of people don't know stories uh, stories of other, you know, very, very, you know, famous and and, and fantastic, you know, socceroos that have played the game. Frank Farina um, was with me at the AIS and, and he, um, he went on, you know, his father was Italian. Um, Sugarcane people up in, in North Queensland, and he he was the first 
uh, Australian soccer to go back and, and, and play in Italy in Serie A. So you know, it's um, these are real big achievements in in, in world sport, and um, I just felt that you know, if if I could um, write my own story and uh, and my journey, because we all have one in sport, um, I, I just thought that. That maybe we as a nation, you know, in in football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, could could start maybe, um, you know, um, you know, creating and, and and telling more stories of of past achievements and past pioneers, and and, and you know, so I not only did it for myself, but but for other people in the game. Well, I can't wait. I'm on a long flight tomorrow to America, and. I'm I'm downloading the audible book yeah. um, because I've been told about it. I, I should have listened before I've come and sat here with you. Uh, it's a top five seller, yeah. and there's a reason it's a top five seller because it's an amazing story. and And you did set the benchmark for a lot of soccer players to follow in this country. That you know now we've had we've had quite a yeah. few have played in England. We've had some play in Spain, and you've mentored some. You've led some. You obviously set the standards. You now work in a club where you're inspiring and setting the energy of this place yeah. and joining Nick, Mo- Nick Montgomery, who's another uh, great fellow who we've had on the show yeah. before. Um, yeah, so the story goes from AIS, where a lot of good players started. Yeah. That, that used to be some program, right? Then you've gone to Spain, yep. you've gone to England. You've played against some massive teams. You've yep. played in FA Cups against yeah, Man United. Yeah. You've done all that. Where did life go after football? Because that, it starts to get interesting. Well, I, 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 can, I can let you know how it began because uh, I never really wanted to play football you know, for, for Australia. Or, That's right. Um, I heard you yeah. were a gun rugby yeah, league player. I, I loved rugby league. You know, yeah. there, was, yeah. um, there was no Canberra Raiders in, in Canberra at the time. You know, so I, I loved watching Manly um, and, and followed Manly back in the day. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to play rugby league for uh, for the Kangaroos, and, and that was my kind of dream. Um, but at 15, 16, um, I remember I was a, at a football match. I was playing soccer, a soccer match in Canberra, and um, uh, Johnny Warren was there watching. And uh, he came up to me and he said, uh, "The Socceroos need players like you, son." And, and that was kind of the turning point where, um, and to be honest, league was um, uh, it was a tough game. It was a tough game, and. and uh, you know, mum and dad were of Spanish background and everything was, was football in, in, yeah, in, in, in yeah. our household. So kind of, um, they said if I wanted to go down the football path, then they would back me a million percent on that. And, and, and then I went to the AIS. Um, uh, I captained the AIS, I captained the Australian youth team. And on a youth tournament, uh, a European tournament in, in Germany, we, we made the final against Real Madrid. And uh, I was scouted uh, then by um, a guy called Vicente Del Bosque. And, and he yeah. went on to manage Real Madrid and, and Spain um, to World Cup wins. And, and um, so Ron Smith, who was my coach at the AOS, always says, you're also the first Aussie kid to ever be scouted by Real Madrid. And um, so kind of that, that, that scouting kind of process led to me signing for Sporting Gijon in Spain, who were a top five team at the time. I, I played for two years, you know, between the age of 18 and 20, I was playing um, first 11 on loan um, from Sporting Gijon. I was on loan to Albacete and Jerez, but every week I'd be playing against Valencia, Barcelona, Deportivo, La Coruña, Sevilla, Betis, you know, Real Madrid, all, all these teams. I'm 18 to 20 years of age and it's never been done before. And, and then I called, got called up for military service after two years. And, and um, you know what, I probably may have stayed and done the military service um, 
but they wouldn't let me play as a Spaniard at the time. I was considered a foreigner. So, so my two years in Spain were taking up a foreign import spot, which is even more kind of, uh, I don't know if, it's, if the right word's amazing, but you know, usually they went for the gun, yeah. gun mm -hmm. players in world football back in those days for, to, to occupy or, or take up their, their two import spots. So I, you know, I was a young Aussie kid taking up an import spot, but I had a Spanish passport and, and you know, I sat down with Dad at the end of the two seasons and, and um, you know, it just it didn't make sense. You know, the, the Spanish government, you know, um, you know, wanted me, wanted me to, to jump into their military because um, you had to do compulsory military service. So, um, you know, I was Spanish for military service but not Spanish for football. So for me, you know, I'm either all in or all out. Yeah. Um, so I, I escaped. Um, I, um, I got on a flight to, to, to London um, and if I'd have been caught at the airport I would have been in a military prison for two years. Um, so avoided that one and, and, then, and then got got to England and um, yeah I'd been playing first you know first team football you know, in, in Spain at, at 18, 19, 20 in the biggest stadiums in, in, in the world and, and then you know dreams you know as kids the things you dream of as a kid yeah you know and um, and I get to London and you know, I was pretty shattered because um, I'd had to leave a, a country that I thought I'd be in for the next 10, 12 years playing professional football and uh, I'd had some wonderful times and met some wonderful people and, and then I'm in London and I don't have a club and I've now got to go on trial somewhere. Um, and my mate was doing politics at, at Nottingham University. So I went up and stayed with him, uh, caught a train, went up with him and, and stayed with him for a month and it was around that pre-season time. And he said to me, what are you going to do? And uh, I said, well, I've got to, I don't want to go back to Australia. I'm going to try with an English team. And um, he said, who? And I said, well, we're in Nottingham, so why not Nottingham Forest? And at the time, they were like, just come off being two times European champions. Brian Clough was yeah. their manager, the, you know, the... Legend. Yeah, the legend Brian Clough, who, who many people just uh, thought was a, a crazy genius. He, he was. Um, you know, my mate said, you, you can't walk into Brian's office and ask him for a trial and we go, watch this. So, um, you know, I went, I rode my bike into, um, into the forest, you know, the, the city ground in the middle of Nottingham and, um, and knocked on his door and, and ended up, you know, within about 20 minutes, uh, you know, I'd, I'd got a trial off, off, you know, Brian Clough, arguably the greatest manager in, in, in British football, you know. He yeah. said to me, you've got some balls coming in here, son. He goes, oh, I said, I rode my bike in this morning, Gaffer, and uh, I've just been playing in Spain and I wondered if I could, could have a trial. And um, yeah, he just, he said, you've been playing in Spain? And uh, I said, yeah, and I've left because of military service. And he said, who was your manager? I said, ex-Real Madrid legend, Pachin. And, and he said, yeah, that's fine for me. He said, uh, you'll start training today and I'll sit you in between Des Walker and Neil Webb who were legends at the time in, in, in English football and um, yeah so I, I became probably the, I think the second Australian to, to sign for Nottingham Forest after Alan Davidson did and, and, and you know for me you, you look at things in, in life and sometimes you know achievements whether they're soccer caps or, or winning cups or finals or A-League titles or whatever you know, but for me you know, a real big honour and, and uh, an achievement, I, I, I believe, was, you know, you know, the fact that Brian Clough thought I was good enough for his football team and, and, and rated me as a player and signed me yeah. um, for Nottingham Forest. Uh, that, for me, was um, wow. a wow thing. And, uh, and then, then I, I played for him. Yeah. 
for three months in the reserves, but I couldn't get into his first 11 because he had Des Walker and Neil Webb in, in my positions. And, but he really liked me. And he said, um, he said, listen, son, I'm going to make a phone call and if switch town, I'm going to sign you. Uh, so that's that's what happened. But um, you know, if people ask me about Cluffy, just a, a mad genius, and uh, you know, I remember one of the first one of the first things he said to me when I walked into his office, and, and not many players ever walked into Cluffy's office, you know, unless he was going to sack you. And uh, I walked in, and his first question was, um, "Do you like cricket, son?" You know, he said, uh, "Better be the right answer." And I said, "I love cricket." And, and uh, you know, and we started going through like. Um, you know, I said I love the West Indies. You know, Gordon Greenwich. You know, Viv Richards, Desmond Haynes. You know that era of of, of, yeah. of Windies and then the the Aussie team. And uh, you know, he, he he got up off his chair and he started uh, <laughs> playing shots. And you know, because his office overlooked you know, Trent Bridge, a cricket oval. Yeah, right. So yeah, so we we talked a lot of cricket. And, yeah. Um, he he took a liking to me, and uh, he said you're, you're too good to play in my reserve, so I'm going to find you a, another team. And and. Uh, you know, he That's made a phone call to Ipswich Town and I made my, my English league debut against uh, Hull City for Ipswich Town. What a story. Mate, it's just I, a little bit. Mate, it's a little bit. Yeah. I, tell, I tell you what though, because there are little lessons in there. So there's coaches listening, there's teachers listening. There's, you mentioned the great Johnny Warren and you mentioned a couple of words he said to you. Like, you think back, like how important are those words to a 15 year old? He saw something in you, and I dare yeah. say it was your toughness and your work ethic and your, probably your rugby league uh, and, and your upbringing. Yeah. Like he, he saw something in you, but those powerful words, like there's people listening that have the opportunity to make a difference to a, a kid's life. Yeah. And he said to you, Socceroos need someone like you, mate. Yeah. And you went home, you told mum and dad, and three years after those words, you're playing in Spain. Yeah. Like that's... It's pretty big playing. You know, That's stadiums, incredible. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a, the first kid to, to play. Yeah, and then at the Bernabeu Stadium. That's you know, right. Real Madrid Stadium, like that. And then and then Spanish legends are the ones that are signing you and yeah. recruiting you. And then, and then there's obviously um, in and amongst there too. You you mentioned Ronald Smith. Like he his name in in Australian football is yeah, very well respected, and he he's responsible for developing a lot of players yeah. and a lot of coaches that I really love how you give respect to people like him. And then we've led to Brian Clough, who there's yeah. some lessons there for people. So, um, yeah, fascinating. And, and, and you can take, you, you can take it, you know, bits uh, from many coaches that you have over, over a long time. And, and that's why now, um, you know, I, I love what I'm doing here at the, uh, at the Mariners, you know, just trying yeah. to inspire and empower all our academy players or our all our A-League players to, to go on and, and you know, and, and chase big dreams, you know, it, it's, um, you know, you've you got to set your goals high and, and, and you know, I always had uh, this dream of playing on, on big stages around the world, I, you know, if, I, I, you know, I'd sit at home at 15, 16 in Canberra and, you know, I'd look at Elland Road, I'd, um, the Bernabeu Stadium, you know, Wembley Stadium, the River Plate Stadium, you know, in, in, yeah. in Argentina, all these famous iconic stadiums around the world and, and uh, you know, playing at, at Main Road, the Old Man City round away, you know, playing at the old Arsenal, you know, yeah. library, um, you know, and... Uh, I look back on my career and I played in most of those stadiums against those teams, so it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. But it, it was, 
it, it, it was from, like you said, you know, words that had been said to me, that, that yeah. just a few little words from people that, that mattered, that I believed were important. Um, and that's what I try and do now with, with the young players we have and, and just inspire and empower young players because, you know, we, we've got a lot of talent in this country too. Well, you, you and Nick and everyone here are doing a fantastic job. I mean, Australia just had a player in the World Cup yeah. who was the, the second youngest player to Pele. Yeah to ever play in a World Cup, and he's come straight it's out of... That's pretty big, yeah. That, that's, I mean, we're talking about some first with you here, yeah. but the second youngest player ever at a World Cup. And I was, I was very fortunate to work with him for yeah. you know, four or five months before, you know, part before of my that. job was, um, you know, Nick, Nick works with them out on the pitch, and uh, he's, Nick's a, a wonderful manager, you know, with yeah. a wonderful, you know, playing record himself, and then we get on great, you know, and I, I've said this on other, on other podcasts and other interviews, you know, Nick is... I've been around some of the world's best football managers from Del Bosque to Lopetegui to Mourinho to Ancelotti to Brendan Rodgers. All friends of mine, all people I've been around. I've played under some wonderful managers. I've played against, you know, a Man United team with Sir Alex Ferguson on the bench. And, and um, that guy in there, Nick Montgomery, um, is of that ilk. He will yeah. one day um, grace those stadiums, you know, as a manager. And he did as a player. Um, and um, he will as a football manager coach. Yeah. Because um, he... he he gets the game, he employs fantastic lieutenants, but more than that, if, if you said, you know, in a couple of words, you know, Nick Montgomery, he's just, he's just a wonderful man. Well, uh, I'd have to agree with you, and I, th I think any listeners that have listened to when he was on this podcast, they, they would get that same feeling, even if they've never met him. Yeah. So he, he's definitely going all the way. Mate, part of the book, your life gets pretty interesting after you finish playing. So we just where it started. We've been there. We played in the biggest stadiums. You're a soccerer. You definitely you set the benchmark. Yeah. There's there's football. It's a pioneering yeah, story. Yeah, pioneering. Isn't it? A pioneering yeah, like story, guys yeah. like Tim Cahill have followed you, and I yeah. know you've had a lot to do with Tim. Yeah. So can we can we just go once you finish playing, you end up following the journey in the player agent world. So there'll be agents watching this, or there'll be people that are aspiring to be an yeah. agent. Your life went crazy. I mean, you ended up being David Beckham's personal manager, which yeah. there must be some crazy stories. But how did the journey start post-playing? Post how did that start? I was, I was captain of, um, on and off, you know, um, I, I was sharing captaincy duties at, at Reading right. um, in my last few years. Um, Alan Pardew was the manager. Um, Brendan Rogers was around, at, 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 you know, within our club at the same time so another two big managers that, that I've had the chance to to befriend and be friends with and, 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 and you know um, you know get information and see how they work and learn from um, so uh, and, and my career was coming to an end and, and um, you know what I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do but uh, but you know while I was playing I'd help Tony Popovich go to Crystal Palace I'd helped Mark Schwarzer um, Go from Germany to Bradford, then he went to Middlesbrough and Chelsea. You know, we all know that that story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are a couple of young men that, that you know I helped with some phone calls to agents and this and that. And, and it wasn't that I fell into the agent business, but um, I, I was retiring. And, and um, there was a lady that worked uh, that worked at Reading in, in the bar. And her name was Sue Roberts, and uh, she was the head of Foster's slash Courage at the time. It was a, the right. Aussie company in, in, in the UK, yeah. the beer company, yeah. And um, she said to me one day, she said, um, 
you dress up all right in a suit, um, I reckon you could be an agent and uh, I know England's number one. I said, who's that then? And she said, David Beckham's agent, a guy called Tony Stevens. And he's managed David Platt and Gary Lineker and, you know, he's got Michael Owen and Beckham and Dwight York and he's got, you know, he's yeah. the man. And, um, and I said, uh, can you get me a chat with him? And she goes, let me work on it. So she came back to me and she said, uh, Tony will meet you in, in Mayfair, London tomorrow at his office and you're going to have about five minutes to impress him. Um, if you... If you're there after five minutes, you're doing really well. You know, if you get more than five minutes, you're doing well. Yeah. So about an hour and a half later, I um, I rang her up and I said, "Oh, he's making me a coffee." <laughs> so yeah, the interview went 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 pretty well. But and it yeah. was it was, um, yeah, I got on a train. I wasn't really knowing what to expect, but but I thought, you know what, this is. Um, I'd always been good at identifying players, scouting more than than the agent kind of role. Yeah. Um, I. I you know what, there are some good agents in, in the world. Uh, there's a lot of scumbags too. Yeah. Um, but it's not really the, the job that I, uh, that really fulfilled my heart and made me happy yeah. in, inside. Um, but I enjoyed the, the part where, where Tony would, you know, send me out scouting to look for players and this and that, okay. that, that we, we maybe wanted to sign. Because you had it something to do with Tim Cahill's signing. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was that was that was kind of part of it. So I've, I've landed in this Mayfair office and, and, and yeah. I've walked in and I, I see three names, you know, behind the counter, you know, shining bright and uh, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, David Beckham. You know, and SFX at the time yeah. were a, a global management company, and in the USA they controlled seventy five percent of the NBA players, NFL players, the whole lot. You know, this was a big, big company. Yeah. So I walked upstairs and I had a look around the place and I thought, I'm not leaving this place. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work for this lot somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I had, um, I had grabbed a bit of paper um, at my sister's at the time, and emails weren't really big that at the time and stuff. So yeah. Um, I'd, I'd somehow printed out a, a map of the world. I wanted to impress Tony Stevens somehow, you know, because I, you know, I kind of felt that he would say, well, you know, if you're going to scout for me, even if I'm players for me, um, if I mention Argentina, who's your contact there? So I printed out a, a map of the world on an old, a bit of paper that I then folded up, and, and yeah. every country I put the name in of who my contact was. So yeah. I would say Argentina, and I put Diego Maradona. Say so Colombia, <laughs> Carlos Valderrama. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever, Italy, yeah. Christian Vieri, who yeah. I'd met through the Australian kind of connection. Yes, so yes. every, you know, Poland, Darius Dovchek, I'd played against, I played with Darius at Reading, ex-Polish international. Yeah. So every country in the world. You could touch. Yeah, Brazil, yeah. Ronaldo. Yeah. You know, whatever, I could, I could, within one phone call, I could get to the person that I'd put down, like Maradona, whoever, you know, for yeah. information on a player that we might want to recruit for our company. Yeah. And um, he just looked at it and he said, you know all those people? I said, yeah. And um, he, never, he never asked me any more about that. He never questioned it. He, never, he just went, good. And, um, and as I was leaving the office that day, he said, um, uh, we've got a young lad that, that, that we're chasing. He's an Australian kid. Um, and we've, we've been trying to, I've got all my agents trying, I've tried, you know, I managed David Beckham and I can't get this kid, you know, he's, 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 he's with a couple of lawyers, you know, in the east end of London, you know, yeah. uh, that old gangster crew and, and, and yeah. we, we can't get to him, we can't. And um, I said, you're after Tim Cahill, are you? He said, yeah, he, he said, would you be able to get him for us? And I said, uh, I'll get him for you. And uh, he said, well, that's your trial. 
So within 24 hours, I had Timmy Cahill in the office, and he yeah. signed for SFX. Wow. So yeah, that was, that was a story. That got on, you a job on, on Timmy, yeah. And then after that, they um, they kind of said, well, you know what, we're going to send you around uh, Italy and Spain for for two years, and. So I would travel to every club in Spain and, and, and Italy and, and just yep. build relationships. And it was kind of like a holiday. Yeah. A holiday, travelling around Italy and, and... Watching football, yeah, talking football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd go to all the big clubs, Milan, AC Milan, Inter Milan, yeah. meet their, their CEOs, directors of football. And, and, yeah. and then, you know, the, the, the big one and the one that was very famous within our family, Real Madrid, you know, coming from Spain. And, and you yeah. know, that was the big iconic club, you know, for our, our family in Spain. Yes. and. Um, you know, and when I was in Spain and, and knowing a lot of the Spanish internationals that played for them at the time, and the very famous people that were still at the club, I eventually began talks with um, Jorge Valdano, who'd won the World Cup for Argentina with Maradona, okay. and a guy called Butragueño, and they were direct, they were the, the, the two joint directors of football. Right. And, um, and I began talking with them, and, and uh, I said, look, we've got three players in England uh, in our management company, and I think you should sign them. You should really go take my advice on this one. I'm not wrong, you should sign these three players. And uh, a year later, they signed David Beckham. And the following year, they signed Michael Owen and Jonathan Woodgate. Woodgate got injured, but yep. the other two were, were pretty good players. You know. So, and then SFX send you to Spain yep. to live with, or basically live with and become the minder, if you like, minder, for better words, personal manager, personal manager everything, yeah. everything, to David Beckham, who was absolutely huge at the time like i i only had one experience one day in, at man united the day i went there to visit training and uh, i've i've talked about it in other episodes the influence alex yeah. ferguson had on me in, in one day i mean you're talking a lifetime here yeah. um but david beckham wasn't there that day because someone threatened to kidnap his his wife yeah or his family and it was huge news and I just thought to myself, what a life this guy is living. It's and and the, the attention and like, even the day I was there, it was like, mate, just leave the phone. Leave, well, actually, there was no phones. It was leave the camera in the bag because we've had people that have taken a photo. It might be Alex and David yeah. just doing normal stuff. You would do a training in each other's face talking. But let's say that, it looked oh, like that. Story of it. Then a yeah, front page yeah. paper is a story of this blow up between David and Alex. So, so there was the paparazzi type stuff that went on in his life. You then had to live. You, 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 where do we start with I, that? I, I don't know where to start, and I don't know where to finish. You know, but but I, I can tell you somewhere in between. Yeah. Is Princess Diana's death and what happened to her? You know, if if you want to go hardball on on on. It was that intense. Uh, yeah. You know, after the. So we landed the, the first day he arrived with his family for, for the medical. Yep. We land at the military air force base uh, and come off. I'm waiting for him with Real Madrid officials on the tarmac. He comes out of the private jet and we get into a car out onto the motorway that goes into, into Madrid and straight away helicopters above us. Two, three, four helicopters. We've got um, paparazzi on motorbikes. Uh, in cars and I'm talking, you know, a lot, <coughs> hundreds, hundreds, hundreds yeah. on motorbikes, you know, and, and uh, wearing cars, doing 150, 160, 180 on, on, on freeways, motorways, trying to get away with them and they're right next to us. 
you've got a guy on a motorbike that's you know riding the motorbike you've got a guy strapped to him that's facing the other way and he's got a camera Good lens camera. hitting the car at 180 kilometers an hour and snapping photos inside the car you got three four helicopters you got the police helicopter trying to fight off the news helicopters you got an army helicopter coming in and this is just man if you get to the hotel the whole thing is surrounded it's it's surrounded we've got two sas commandos that are saying to me andy we need more men so you had to you were his personal yeah mind. i was so, i was so i went as his interpreter you're his he didn't, interpreter he didn't, he didn't speak a word of english so he he needed me to talk to ronaldo Zidane, uh, figo uh, raul casillas all of them saying Unbelievable. To, to the club he well, i can only imagine <coughs> i i experienced a a week with Juventus when Ronaldo was, R Ronaldo was recently there. And just seeing the attention on him leaving training, the crowds of people, yeah. like, you're needing police escort almost to leave yeah. training. But I only remember, I'm thinking back how huge that was when Beckham went well, there. Well, this, this was even more because... It was huge, way bigger than Victoria that. Victoria was, was a Spice Girl. Yeah. So you had the Spice Girls to the mix, and they were like the biggest band in the world. Well, she was that one that was being threatened yeah, yeah. to be kidnapped. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've got the Spice Girls, you, you've got Beckham joining Madrid at a time when they it was the beginning of what Florentino Perez, the president, had want to create. he wanted to create the Galacticos, which was... So you had the other best four players in the world. Yeah. Zidane, Ronaldo Nazario... Yeah, you know, this guy was flying in Victoria's Secret models, you know, on planes every day. You know, it's just, <laughs> you know, just madness. You know, he's flying models from around the world for parties. You know, busloads would turn up to his house. So the paparazzi again. I haven't there, read. There's another spin-off. I, spin -off I story. haven't read the book, but I am locking this in for my flight tomorrow. You had a car crash. Yeah, I had a car crash. Um, it was for Romeo's Romeo. Um, Beckham at the time was his birthday. You know, I can recall probably he might have been three or four. It was his birthday, and it was global attention everywhere. And uh, and we wanted to go to. I'm pretty sure it was. We planned to take the kid to the Hard Rock Cafe, and close up the whole restaurant, and it was just going to be for us and, and the Beckham entourage. And, and um, so I was. Um, but I, I that night was was going in a dummy car. So sometimes we would go in a dummy car. And I would put a blonde wig on, and, and with the tinted windows, they thought it was Beckham. So, so. Uh, <laughs> Stop it. Yeah, yeah. Stop it. Yeah, so I'd, this I'd, is yeah, true. Yeah, this is true. So I'd put a blonde wig on, and I had, um, uh, instead of Victoria, um, it was her sister. Yeah. Louise Adams. And uh, <clears throat> so we came out of the, um, the airport, uh, sorry, we came out of the hotel driveway that day, and it was... Um, the hotel was, that we were in was a, a beautiful one. It was called the Santo Mauro in, in the middle of Madrid. It was an old boutique, Mexican style. Um, but it was right in the centre and you could kind of only, there's one exit, one entry onto a one-way street. Right. That day I've come out and the guards should have been blocking the street, but they weren't. So we've come out and paparazzi have hit a side on. And I've gone unconscious for, a, don't know, but I came to and, and when I came to, I looked to my, to my left, um, Louise uh, was kind of half dazed as well. We'd been T-boned uh, and there were paparazzi all over the car, like with cameras, and I just, all I could see were flashing lights. Hang on a minute. So, did you have the blonde wig on? Yeah. I'd love to see the pictures. Mate, mate, mate. So I had, the, I had the blonde wig on. So you had the blonde wig on in the car crash. You could have died here. You've got his sister-in-law, yeah. have you? I was knocked unconscious. <clears throat> and oh I came too. God. 
when I've come to, I've managed, I've seen maybe 50, this is 60, princess 50, yeah, Diana yeah, yeah. Stuff. I've seen 50, 60 humans on top of a Porsche. And I've... It's good to know you're travelling in a Porsche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we always used to get, like, the top cars, they just give them to us, so I, I never... Talk I, me I, through that. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even have, I didn't even have a um, part of that. After that crash, I'll tell you. Uh, it's a funny, it's an even funnier story. Um, so I managed, when I came to, to put the car in reverse and kind of back into where I'd exited from the underground garage in the hotel. Um, and and I, as I'm reversing the car, it's sliding along because one of the tyres is gone. And um, two SAS commandos jump out from the back and pull us both from the car and drag us into safety and then and, and move the car back and then the shutters go down and it's just us in an underground oh car park. Gosh. You know, with two SAS commandos going, whoa. So half an hour later after, after you know, being pulled to safety by the SAS commandos, I'm in the garage and uh, I've got a pretty bad head knock as well. And uh, uh, I'm sitting there and the Spanish Civil Guards turn up and they're like the highway patrol now. And um, they ask me for my licence and I pull it out and I've, I've got an expired New South Wales driver's licence. <laughs> Driving a Porsche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Driving a Porsche that, that belongs to Beckham. That, that, that he didn't pay for. That we didn't pay for. That I don't even know how we got it. Like I just <laughs> rang some bloke up and he said, pick this car up. Mate, I did hear stories that Beckham would just be able to go, get me a Ferrari and it's there. Because these car companies realise that there's paparazzi on him all the time. Oh, yeah, so, you, so are you the person that's getting the car? I'm the person that was getting cars. So Talk I, us through I, I, a, an example. An example is you, 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 know, you go to Porsche or you go to Ferrari and, and he says, uh, do you think we can maybe get one of those cars? And, and I'd call them up, and, and you know, whether it's Ferrari or Porsche or Aston Martin or whoever it is. Um, look, I'm David Beckham's manager here in Madrid. Um, you know, we'd want the possibility right. of, of driving one of your cars. Is there one any, of your Ferraris? Of yeah, 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 one of your Ferraris, whatever. And it's like, it was straight away, it's like, Andy. And then I say, do you, they, no, you speak Spanish? Si, hablo espanol. Come tomorrow, come tomorrow. Drive the car, take it away for David. Don't worry about checking so the I'd, I'd turn up, I'd turn up, like, I wouldn't show a license. No. And I, I, I wrote this in the book and, and, and spoke about it. I, I'd turn up and then they'd give you a, like, like, and I mean a Porsche GT3 or top-of-the-line Ferrari or whatever, you know, Range Rover, anything. And, and no one asked me for a driver's licence. I wouldn't be asked for any type of ID. I didn't have to sign anything. I didn't know if the car was insured. I'd just get given the keys and I'd drive it out. Wait, bye-bye. As long as someone takes a photo. Beckham. Yeah, wow. so then he'd go away to England camps and, and, and holidays yeah. and I'd drive You'd these drive cars the car. around. Yeah, I'd, I'd do a tour of Spain, you know, in a couple of days. What a life. Well, so... Mate, you've, I'm sure in and amongst there, there's been some deep times where you've helped and mentor these players, not just live the high life as an agent yeah. or a manager, because that's in you as a person. You're currently doing that uh, in a fulfilling yeah. role here at the Mariners. I know you'd give your time, you'd give your time to rehab centres, you'd give your time yeah. to community programs. So it's obviously somewhere on that crazy journey, you were also deep inside you trying to make a difference to people which which every listener that i have is pretty much like that look i think uh, i think i i made a really big difference to david beckham and you know and his time around madrid and, and the way he was accepted by <coughs> by you know 
the world's you know greatest club of all time, um, and the players that were there at the time. You know, the, um, the night before he was due to be presented to, to the whole world and, and, and the squad as a Real Madrid player, um, I'd already organised him to meet Zidane and Ronaldo Nazario and Roberto Carlos through a friend of mine at a, at a restaurant in Madrid. So, and why would that be? Because you. Because you get it, you've played, you value connection in a team, I bet. You realise building relationships with key players. And I saw him is, nervous. And he was nervous. I so, saw him. So you organised this. To, to, you know, he was the captain of England mm. at the time. He was the captain of Manchester United. Mm. But, um, you know, it, it, it doesn't, you know. He's still it, human. Yeah, he's still human. And you're yeah. going to a new club and, and um, you know, there's... There were another four or five players there that he considered were, were, were world legends. And then, you know, he would say to me, well, you know, I'm going to meet Zidane tomorrow. I'm going to meet this and that tomorrow. And, and, and you organise. You know, and, and for him as well, you know, it, it, um, when you can't speak the language and yeah. when you can't commute with, yeah. communicate properly with someone, it's, it's, it's an extra kind of difficulty. So I to, love what you did there. Know, so to have me there as a confidant, and, and it went beyond, it quickly went beyond because I was accepted by Ronaldo and, and Figo and Zidane and these guys and Roberto Carlos. Um, because I'd played to a decent level, so I was more and I was more their friend. And and and, and Andy's a good guy. He's a football guy. He's yeah. here with David. He's helping David. He's to integrate into us. So I became kind of one of them, rather yeah. than his agent or his personal manager or something. So I just became one of the boys. Well, do you know what? And, to, and, and, to be honest, that was yeah. what helped a great you know transition. Of course, and you get it that that connection piece is. It's very important for him to invest time in getting yeah. to know these guys off the pitch as well as on it, 100%, 100%. compared to just turning up yeah. day one to training. And I think there's a there's definitely a space for this, mate, of having players have their own personal mentor, personal well, coach. This, um, this one was important. This yeah. was was really important, and, and even little things like um, I mentioned this in the book, but. I'll give you an example of, of, of how um, sometimes awkward it can be for a, an international signing, you know, <clears throat> with a new club. And it's as, as simple as the bus that you travel on. So we were, you know, we were going to, to meet the bus, to get on the bus for his first trip overseas with Real Madrid. And that morning he said, uh, where do I sit? You Something know, you, so simple. <clears throat> you're captain of England. Where do I sit on the bus? Captain of Man United. You've transferred to Real Madrid. And you're shitting your pants about where you're going to sit. Huh. And Steve McManaman. Great point. Who was a, a Liverpool great, was at Mount Real Madrid as well. He was kind of, but he was leaving that season. Yeah. But he was a joker, Steve McManaman. And um, he rang me up and he said, oh, let's play a trick on. Oh, oh God, sit in the Screw with him. Yeah, so <laughs> he gets on the bus. And he goes to sit in the first chair that was free. And McManaman says, that's Zidane's. He gets up and he goes, no, that's Roberto Carlos's. <coughs> that's Figo's. That's Raul's. That's... Yeah, yeah. So he ended up in the seat next to the toilet yeah. on the team bus and he was captain of England. Yeah. And it's just something so simple as, as that, that mm. a, a player of Beckham's, you know, standing at the time was... was was worried about, but we joked about it in the car. I said, you'll yeah. probably sit up near the toilet by the end of... Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what happened. Got. Yeah. Right, fascinating story. And you know what? I, you would think, you know, <coughs> Beckham said, I don't know the guy. Of course you do. Um, but you would think he looks back on you as a, 
very important part of his life. I mean, you nearly died pretending to be him in a wig with his sister-in-law. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's a deep connection there that I'm sure if we ever get, David, if you're listening, I would love you on the show. Um, but I'm sure there's so much respect there from one of the world's global biggest names in no, sport. I, I, I'd like to think so. I hope he does. You know, yeah. we haven't spoken much since um, uh, since um, you know the Madrid days. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I know Tim Cahill spoke to him. You know, in terms of when I was writing my book and, and was everything cool and and, and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so I look. I know David knows, you know, what I did for him at Madrid. You know, he's not a silly boy. He's a clever, yeah. clever man, a clever businessman, a, one of the world's greatest footballers that's ever yeah. played the game. And um, but, but I do know that I was a big part of, of why, you know, he was embraced by the Galacticos at the time and, and, and why he, um, you know, was successful during his time at, at Real Madrid. And, um, you know, and he, you know, uh, unless he doesn't read newspapers or listen to, to to media or podcasts or whatever, you know he would, you know he would know that I you know, turned down millions, um, you know to you know to divulge information on on him and his family, you know by yeah well from, from you know the, the British press for many years. So, um, <clears throat> but um, you know that's not my style. You know that's not the man I am. Yeah. Um, you know I can't be bought and. Uh, uh, you know, at times I got into trouble for, for you know, whatever, um, and 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 you know the, the papers and the people that want to you know bring the big superstars down will attack you and, and threaten you with, with with you know destroying your life, you know if you don't talk about who they really want. Well, yeah, it's another world that, again, like the listeners here, it's always I'm trying to give them lessons, but these lessons like. Like, you just learnt them on the run. Like, you were, you had people attacking your life personally because they knew information, what was going on uh, in your I'm, life I'm, and, and David's life. And you're being offered millions, millions to rat him out or, or create yeah, yeah. some sort of paparazzi-style story. And I'm Mil a victim. Millions. Yeah, I got an email at home from, you know, uh, Scotland Yard. Who gets an email from Scotland Yard? You yeah. know, unless you're really in shit. Yeah. And, uh, I, I got an email and I was told I was a victim of, you know, the biggest you know, media hacking scandal in, in in probably the world world history and, you know, in British history, British, you know, uh, media history. And, um, you know, they found information. They found my name, you know, uh, alongside Beckham's name, Prince Harry, William, um, you know, on pieces of paper at investigators' places, you know, for years... My phone was hacked, um, voicemails were stolen, voicemails were opened, um, information that was exchanged between David, myself, other footballers, you know, they, they had, they, they knew where we were going. Uh, uh, so it, it was, um, you know, at times you think you're going mad, you know, and people are playing with you. So there was often times you've got this crazy, like this paparazzi thing happening, People knew where you were going because people were already yeah. tracking your phone. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. and you didn't know all this. No. And then, well, they try and cause yeah. mayhem within the group. So you yeah. know, you've got Beckham and myself, and then you've got two SAS commandos, and you've got two ex-Cuban, you know, Fidel Castro security, secret service agents. Yeah. You know, these are highly skilled operators. Yeah. You know, and there's six of us that know where we're going. Beckham, myself, and these four, and we get there, and only six of us know where we're going. 
but we get there as a thousand, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand people, including you know paparazzi. Wow. So you know, then within the group, people start going, someone here's leaking. Yeah. So they try and cause mayhem, so they they start arguing with each other and chaos. And I've heard them trying to create chaos, you know, while we're getting into cars so we can have a car crash. Because the the dead shot, or or, or the shot with blood all over it, is the money shot. And that was nearly you. That's the one they want. Yeah, it was nearly me. It was nearly Um, you. But if Beckham's lying there dead, like Princess Diana was, that's the money shot. That's the multi, multi, multi multi-million dollar money shot that they wanted. And I've heard them in Spanish saying that. Say that. Well, they would have it's thought they had the multi-million dollar shot with you because you had the blonde wig on. But then yeah, they would have yeah. they they reversed the Porsche back into the garage. Shot because it yeah, wasn't so. it. Oh, mate. So it was. Um, but but it's things Since like that then, that impact you for, for life. You know, it, it had a big impact because I have heard you went through tough times. Yeah, I. Um, Do you mind if we go there? No, we. we um, I, I want you to go there, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not proud of, of where I went after football. You know, in terms of cocaine and. and and crack cocaine, but I'm very proud that, that I overcame that and, and that I got over it. And, and um, you know, it, it was just something that, um, you know, when all the football kind of finished and, and, and then the Beckham kind of uh, job finished, uh, I was probably looking for the same highs and, 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 and uh, you know, the, the same kind of adrenaline rush and, and, and the same camaraderie, you know, but I didn't have it anymore. And, and you know, I probably looked for it in the wrong, wrong places, you know, with, with wrong substances. And, and, and um, yeah, it's, it's fun at first, you know, but, yeah. but there's, you know, a couple of people that introduced you know, cocaine to me are now dead from cocaine use, you know, so <laughs> at a younger age than me. Um, and I went, I went cocaine and then I went crack cocaine. And um, if you go crack cocaine, um, 99% of the time you're dead or your brain dead. So I, I really believe that, uh, I think I'm here for a reason. Um, and, and, you know, we all kind of, you start thinking about what you're gonna leave, what legacy you're gonna leave, what, what kind of message and, and education and, and, and you know, how you can help the, the next generations. and and. and um, yeah, I, I'm not ashamed anymore to, to some at peace. You know, I'm, I'm really like, there's no elephant in the room. I, I, was, I was a cocaine addict, I was a crack cocaine addict, and, and I'm here, I'm head of athlete, you know, athletic development at the Mariners, I'm one of Monty's assistants, I'm, I help the young lads, you know, uh, you know, I'm still chasing my dreams, you know. Um, why can't we go to the highest levels of football? Why can't we win championships with the Mariners? Why um, can't we be Asian champions, you know? And in the meantime, I go to the Glen Rehab Centre and inspire them. I just do workouts with them, you know. They, they ask me to come and put sessions on for them, and I say, no, I just want to come here as Andy. Come here and Andy, and we'll do some bench press together and hit the bag. How you know? and, and that's kind of, that, that for me is, I don't want to go there as a, as a job. I just go there and we, we talk and we hit a bag and then, you know, you know, do this and that, and you know, because people ask me how I gave up. You know, it's the million-dollar question, isn't it? How well, did well, you give up cocaine? Actually, you, you just said if you ever go crack cocaine, you usually end You're dead up dead or brain buried. dead. Yeah, you usually end up buried. How did you not die? Did you go close to dying? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I reckon I've been in circumstances um, where I could have been killed because of the company that you you you, you surround yourself with you know, in the pursuit of crack cocaine or in the, you know, the, uh, the taking of it. You know, it's, it's um, you know, there's some, some bad places in London. 
some bad places in Sydney, some bad places in, in, in Colombia, you know, in the middle of a, a cocaine addiction. Um, the Socceroos and Football Australia sent me to Colombia to be their chief scout. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't. No, lie, no, no. It's, it's 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 actually I, like I it's I very should. funny, isn't it? it? It's it's like they didn't know. So they didn't know. So you're just. I'm in the middle of a cocaine addiction. I'm living in Sydney. Operating as normal. Yeah, operating as normal. Um, just um, you know, I was a functioning kind of addict. You know, um, and I, I don't know. I think I, there was probably ten years in Sydney. Uh, and, and whenever I hear the birds now at like four or five in the morning, yep. it just—it's it, kind of like this haunting sound that, that I like because now it doesn't. Now I'm not on cocaine, but all I can hear was birds. You know, fucking birds at, at four or five in the morning. It's like, and that's kind of like, and and, and that was the time I was running out of, of the drug, and I wanted to go and chase more. Where, where do I go? The cross here, there. No way. Yes, yeah, so I was like, it's. Uh, so just like and, and, and so in the middle of that, in the middle of that, I, I'm, I, I, in the middle of, of that, there was a, a cocaine. Uh, I'll tell you the, how it leads to the Columbia thing. I'm, I'm living in Bronte at the time, and at seven in the morning, I uh, say to my daughter who was staying with me, "Call the police. We're surrounded by gunmen." No way, your daughter's yeah. here. But we weren't surrounded by gunmen. She knows you got a problem. Not really, but she was starting to kind of like. I, I think she kind of saw me in that state. I was hiding it from her at the time, but she saw me when I came out and said, "You've got to call the police." And I think she just panicked, and, and so she called Waverley Police Station. And um, when you make a phone call to, to a police station, Waverley Police Station, this was at the time, and you say you're surrounded by gunmen, you know they send the chopper. Uh, Maroubra um, target response group, you know, 10 paddy wagons straight down. Now, I was on McPherson Street just down the road from Bronte yeah. Road there. Yeah. And, you know, not far from the police station. You know, there's cars everywhere. Chopper in the sky, the tank from Maroubra, the whole lot. So um, they turn up and, um, uh, you know, they do a, kind of the whole thing. And, and then there's two detectives left and they all leave and there's no one here. And... Um, one of them comes and knocks on my door and he looks through the bars in, in my door in my apartment in Bronte and there was a picture of me playing for the Socceroos in Reading or something and he, he says, can you come out here for a minute? And they kind of knew me um, from, from around the area. Yeah, um, yeah. And, um, and he grabbed me around the collar there and he goes, Andy, um, he goes, you're too good for this, mate. He goes, I'm going to help you. Yeah, so there was a police, couple of police officers from Waverley Police Station that... Um, Detectives, I think they were, and, and they said, if, if you admit you got a problem, we're going to help you. We'll help you. Yeah, and I said, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it was pretty, um, that was, a, that was a, a tough day, and then... Um, what? Uh, so you went into some yeah, rehab? But, or? Yeah, well, they, they were like, in the, there was 100 neighbours around the place, you know, halfway down McPherson Street in, in, in Waverley, and everyone was looking, and, and the cars are dispersing, and there's these two detectives and me, and um, I, I said, you know... I, I've got a problem, but you, you can't take me to jail. You can't lock me up. And, and one of them goes, why? He goes, oh. I said, I've got to be in Colombia on Saturday. And he goes, he goes, the last the place, place for you. No, last place you need to be, mate, is, is Colombia. And, and he goes, well, what are you doing in Colombia? He goes, I said, I'm the chief scout for the Socceroos 2006 World Cup. So I answered a Gus Hiddink and Graham Arnold. What a great uh, crew that yeah, was. Yeah, and they're just going like... It's insanity. So anyway, they take me to Prince of Wales Hospital. I think it was St George Hospital first, and then I ended up in Prince of Wales. But, but um, and I thought they're just going to take me there for a checkup. You know, yeah. and then 24 hours later, I, I wake up. Now, 
they, they shot me up with whatever and I've put me to sleep after like 10 days on crack cocaine psychosis and yeah. um, wake up the next morning I'm about to leave the Prince of Wales Hospital and uh, security guard says you can't go mate your, yeah. your file's been marked uh, not fit for society right. I said what do you mean he said uh, the lady over there has your file no, so there's your file. You're not fit for society, and you can't leave here until we do psychiatric testing on you. I said, but I've got to be in Colombia on Saturday. Did you go? Did you end up going? Yeah, you end up going. Yeah. So there was two days of trying to pass tests in, in this in the loony bin. So I'm in the loony bin. I think it was St George, or I think it was, it was the Prince of Wales Hospital, and uh, in Randwick there. I'm in yeah. the loony bin, and and, and like and, and people are genuinely nuts in there. Yeah. Like, and, and I remember one of the guards one night and one of the nurses, a male nurse, a real nice guy, and uh, I said to him, you know, I'm not nuts like these people. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've, I've just gone mad on cocaine. You know, I was starting to see pink elephants and, and bunnies and this and that and whatever, and, and, and I saw gunmen and this and that, but, but I'm not mad. And he goes, that's how they all start, Andy. That's how they start, mate. They, so, they weren't yeah. always mad. Yeah, they always, um, you know, that kid was a, a genius rugby league player and all he does is bounce an imaginary tennis ball around all day. Oh, mate. Yeah, so, so you, you know, saw this. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm in this loony bin and then they come up and they go, oh, Andy, so, um, you know, the, the first psychiatrist, what have you been doing? And uh, oh, I've, you know, I'm an ex-socceroo and I've, I've, I've been looking after David Beckham and he's 300 million, you know, Pound business and, and, and moved to, to Real Madrid and that, and they start laughing. Yeah, I could see yeah, why. Yeah. And then, then I saw her go back to like the nurses and they're laughing. Google. They're going, they're not, well, they weren't even Googling, it's like they're laughing first. Yeah, right. Going, this guy's insane. He thinks he's looked after Beckham. And like, they come, another one comes back and she goes, I said, Do you know Posh Spice? Okay, yeah, he used to take her shopping all the time. Yeah, nearly the died with his sister. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's just like it's, it's lunacy. Yeah, because yeah, like, people don't believe why. it. You could see why, yeah. yeah. And then finally, they, they start getting to the bottom of it. You know, on the Thursday, I'm allowed out, and then I get on a plane to Colombia, and I'm flying to Colombia to do, you know, to watch matches. Yeah. So my, you know, they base me in Colombia, but I've got to fly to, I've got to watch Argentina, Colombia at the River Plate in Argentina. I've got to watch Brazil play in in, in Rio de Janeiro or whatever, right? So, I'm, I'm, but I'm based in Colombia. You know, not long after being let out of the loony bin for cocaine psychosis. Yeah. You know, I'm flying into into Bogota and then into Barranquilla. I've got my Aussie, you know, tracksuit on. You know, I'm going in, you know, scouting and then, you know, and all I can think is, where am I going to get to the best line of cocaine I've ever had? Wow. So. Yeah. I mean, that 2016, they ended up playing a game against Brazil. So you'd already done some homework for well, the staff. You've scouted all that for Well, we them. ended up playing yeah. against Uruguay. Remember? So yeah. Uruguay yes, was, right. yeah. yeah. This is a story for you. Mm. So we, um, so I'm, I'm scouting for, you know, in and out of, of, of South America for nine months. Yep. And Ron Smith and I did it together. We give Gus and Arnie the dossier, everything, yep. climate, uh, logistical, yep. um, technical, you know, if, if one team played at altitude and another played, you know, in, in direct sun with a lot of humidity, whatever, everything, everything, everything. was covered that you could cover so that Gus and Arnie would, would know exactly what, what team they were up against, uh, you know, everything. Yeah. Uh, and um, so we did all that and, and it, was, it was done uh, with me on cocaine. Holy, yeah, so party. one of the biggest moments in Australian sporting yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. You did all the prep, or I, a lot I, of prep. Ron Smith and I did all, all the scouting the... prep for, for that 2016 to beat Uruguay 
in the World Cup qualifier to make it. Yeah, to make it. Mm. And the only game that Ron and I and Graham Arnold were not able to see was Uruguay in Uruguay. So we right. wanted to scout Uruguay playing one of their qualifiers. Yeah. Okay. But there was something happened with with, with all the planes. There was a plane strike or something. So none of us could get to watch Uruguay live. So we watched them on TV. But it's always good to, yeah, to kind of go life, live and, sure. and you, know, you see the little bits of the stadium that you. Are you still on cocaine at this time? Yes, I was still on cocaine at this time. So I ring my friend. Ron Smith doesn't know about it, of no, course. No, he doesn't know about it. Neither did the Socceroos. No one knew about no it. No one knew about it. My God. I then, uh, I can't get... I and can't, I'm not talking bit of cocaine. Like no, I'm talking like... Yeah, habit. I'm, like talking, habit. I'm talking the first daily. night I arrive in Colombia, um, you know, scouting for the Socceroos, I order 20 grams. Wow. It's $10 US. Yeah. Yeah, times 20. $200 US for 20 grams of pure white cocaine. It's the greatest deal you can ever make in history. Yeah. Mate. Compared to compared to prices in Australia, you yeah. know, I know I'm making light of it, but it, it is serious. But but you know, back then it's, it's the greatest deal I'd ever made. When did uh, it stop, and how did it stop? Well, did, did b- you before have to it hit? stops, or at, at how it stops? Yep. The I've got to tell you this one because you'll like this one. Being a rugby league man, yeah. So, Arnie, myself, and Ron Smith can't get to watch Uruguay in Montevideo, but I'd I'd. I'd organised to catch up with one of Australia's leading rugby league agents who's a friend of mine yeah. okay, at that game. I was going to get him into the game and we were going to watch it. His name's Daryl Mather, yeah. SFX Sports Group. Represents yeah. a lot of um, him and George Mimas. Yeah, 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 that's great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, I said to Daryl, yep. yeah, I said, uh, mate, I'm uh, putting a badge on you today, mate, and uh, you're the, the marshal. You're the uh, chief scout for the Socceroos. Um, Uruguay were playing, I'm not sure who they played, Chile or something like that. Yeah. You're doing the match report for us. So Daryl Mather, <laughs> one of Australia's leading rugby league rugby agents, league. Yep, did the match report, reconnaissance, the whole lot, for Urugu- the Uruguay match in South America that we used to beat them at ANZ Stadium. No way. Does anybody know this? Oh, it's in I my don't book. think so. It's in really? my book. Daryl knows it. Ron Smith knows it now. I never knew Daryl was into soccer. Or oh, he's he, not. Oh, he loves Tottenham. Oh, does he? Yeah. He I loves, never knew I that. think he loves soccer. He loves football more than soccer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, he, I've taken him to Tottenham. He's a mad Tottenham fan. Yeah, right. He loves Tottenham. Wow. So, so, then, then, so then kind of... So he's working that, for you while you're partying. Yeah. <laughs> I want to know how it stopped because there's been lots of little lessons here, but yeah. there might be some athletes watching. There might be some, actually there might be some coaches watching that have dabbled down this path that yeah. if they're not careful, mate, they could either end up yeah. dead or career ruined. Yeah. Did you hit rock bottom for this to stop? Yeah, on, 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 on several fronts. You when know, you say and, rock bottom, uh, tell me. Uh, there was a couple. There was um, in one instance, I was I was arrested in Reading. You know, I'd been uh, um, been on, on crack cocaine for about ten days. Um, just out somewhere behind a golf course, ended up in a backyard somewhere. A lady rings up. Um, thought I was a burglar at first. Anyway, from, they get a helicopter up. I'm getting chased by dogs. Four police officers. You know, like the, the chases that you see on TV with with you know. I'm running through a forest and there's, you know, there's Alsatians chasing out. And this is in a town where you captain that club. So, and, 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 you know, an hour, you know, after way, uh, that morning, you know, I'm I'm in a prison cell, you know, I'm pacing around like like a tiger, you know, and I'm, I'm on crack cocaine high, I've got, I've run into a barbed wire fence, I'm cut to pieces, shredded to pieces, the dogs have been at me, the whole lot, and, um, 
but I can't stop. I'm walking around and I'm pacing this way, I'm pacing that way. In the book I've said I felt like one of Joe Exotic's tigers. Pacing right, I'm passing this way, that way, that way, just going nuts, nuts, nuts. When's, it, when, when's the noises in my head going to go? These noises have to go. Like, uh, you know, and previously, how did they go? Like, more cocaine? Just, just make a bigger noise and maybe the little noises go. Wow. Yeah, so it's just noises, 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 noises. You know, it happened once in, 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 in Sydney as well. You know, I was driving around and I went out to get more cocaine and was, I thought every car in Sydney that, that was behind me in front of me was a cop car. Yeah, because when you're not doing the right things and you're kind of doing things that are Yeah, paranoid. Like every car's a cop car. So we go around and around about 10 times. And if you'd lose him, well, well, it wasn't a cop car. And if he's still behind you, it is a cop car. So I, but then the one that's turned off is like, man, and then you go past a, over the Harbour Bridge and there's a, a traffic stop, an RBT, and they let you go. And then, oh, I've got past that one. But, but you, you think that they've only let you through because the Highway Patrol's ready to nab you down the road. It's madness. It's, it's madness. And there's just a noise in your head all the time that's just like... I can't so did, even explain it. Did you lose friends, family through all this? Where's family in all of this? Family's, like, family's really good now. They're good now? Yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Oh, look, did you realise I'm about to lose all well, this? Well, well, I never lost them. Uh, I never lost the real, the real close ones. And, and, and um, you know, Dad was disappointed. Um, but then found out a lot of whys, and, and, and before he passed, you know, he, you know, I was able to tell him a lot of truth about, you know, the, 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 the getting hacked in in Europe and this and that. So he, he kind of, it, it was good for him, you know, it was good for me that, that you know, all the truth came out in the end, and, and, and you know, he passed, and we were good with that. Um, mum, mum would always back me, you know, you know, good or bad. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of people go missing. A lot of people that, that you think in sport, in football, that are your friends. Yeah, a lot of them go missing when, when, when you hit down times. You know, there was, you know, when I was playing in England and you'd play against Man United, get 100 people calling you the day before for tickets, you know, you know, phone calls all the time, you know. After I finished playing football, I don't think I got a phone call. You, you know, don't in get 10 years, phone calls anymore. Didn't get a phone call for 10 years. And maybe just someone saying, uh, are you all right, Andy? Maybe the Socceroos, you know, hierarchy saying, all right, Andy. Maybe the PFA saying, you all right, Andy. Just maybe one phone call in 10 years. Never happened. No. So, you know, I know those federations and associations are trying to get better now, and, and, and it's because of stories like mine that, that, that highlights where you can get better. Um, but, uh, you know, if you say why, I, I wanted to be a, a better husband, a, a better dad, a better son. A better brother and, and, and you just you know I, I, I can't tell you exactly how like that's the madness of this it's I, I suppose I had to find another drug and, and football was always my drug yeah. and now that I'm back in it I'm the happiest I've ever been in a long 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 time mate, I, mate. Mate, I wake up so pumped every morning I'm living my best life here on the coast and, and um, but it wasn't like I went to a rehab centre. I didn't go to a rehab centre. I didn't, didn't do any of that. I, I just, um, I, I suppose I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired, mate. Yeah. Just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And yeah, every single day of your life, as you wake up, you haven't slept. I didn't sleep for 10 years. I don't think I slept for 10 years in Sydney. Like, I just, it's like constantly like, just off my chops constantly, like, mate. you know, and you're like, well, you know, do you four, know five, six-day benders, you know, like, then, then your body shuts down to almost death, and then you're back on it again. 
Right. Uh, and it's just non-stop. And then you, you know, you, you live in the, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and you wake up one day, and every single person you know, even the people that, that you go to that own the gym, the people you go to the gym in Bondi Junction, yeah. you know, to, to get fit, to lead a clean, healthy lifestyle, and everyone is in there is doing cocaine. Policemen, uh, models, rugby league players, yeah. normal punters, every single person that you can think of in the eastern suburbs is doing this shit. And, and that's what your life's about. Yeah, it's crazy, man. So, uh, so it, it, I got out of the eastern suburbs and went home to Canberra. Did you? Went home to Canberra, met, met Janie, um, uh, my now wife, um, and, and, and she, um, you know, she helped me a lot. You know, she would go around, you know, I was... I don't know if just, you're kind of running away from everything and, and cocaine and I was, I was like Anthony Keaty's from the Chili Peppers, you know, he'd run off to hotels left, right and centre and she'd be chasing me in the middle of the night, you know, you know, just chasing her, yeah. Keaty says he would, you know, go to random hotels and inject himself with heroin and, you know, and, and I'd, I'd do cocaine and just slowly trying to commit suicide for some reason but she never gave up on me and, um, yeah, so she, she, she's a good girl so... Her dad was a racing car driver, back speedway champion right. in Australia, and so we were into sport, and, and so I met her, and, and great family, and, and, and that got me back on track, mate, so. Mate, this conversation's gone in a lot of directions. I never knew it'd go that deep. I mean, your life was about to end, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, did you ever yeah. think about ending Yeah, it? I did. Did you? Uh, I, you know what, I, uh, uh, sometimes you think, you know, especially a couple of times, you know, and I, I did write it in the book as well. It's kind of like, how do I end the noise? How do I end this noise? There's just fucking noise in my head all the time. Like, it's just, just like a zoo. Like I could hear every animal, like lions roaring, you know, and wolves or howling. It's just, just constant noise, you know. And how do you fix it? More cocaine, more crack cocaine. You know, I'm trying to give up crack cocaine, you know, five, five houses up the road in Bronte, you know, next to the most exclusive girls' school, you know, up the road, and there's, there's a crack cocaine chef. Yeah. You know, it's just madness, yeah. you know, so and it's just insanity. So you wanted to end that noise, yeah, but so now... Yeah, so I wanted to end the noise, but yeah. I, I, I suppose, you know what, I... Um, I don't really have a view on, 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 on some people that commit suicide or, or, or don't because I... Who am I to judge, you know, someone that, 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 that takes their life? You know, some people say it's a very selfish thing, you know. I had a friend that took his life, you know, um, when we worked at Wallara Council together, you know, and uh, you know, he never told me, but, you know, I later found out that, you know, he'd gone into children's homes, you know, in, in New South Wales, you know, 30, 40 years ago, and for the first six years of his life, he'd been raped every day. So the trauma. You know, and he took his life, you know, yeah, and, and, yeah. and so... Um, uh, I don't know, but maybe I wasn't brave enough to, to you know, and maybe I just, there was something always in the back of my head that was saying, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a good person, I've got, I've got a, a lot of good to offer. Right, you've got so much to offer. You are, you're doing it, mate. Yeah. Like, sorry to make you get a No, nah, it's all right, so, you know, it was, um, so yeah, I never, I never went down that road. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, couldn't do it to my daughter, to my parents, to uh, just, there's just, there's just too many people in my life that, that, you know, I, you know, and I wanted to. Um, I kind of knew. I kind of knew that I was strong enough to come back to normal. Yeah. Um, 
but for a long time it was really hard to, to find out how, to, to, to kind of work out how. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, like part of it was just going back to Canberra, mate, you know, and just kind of where I was born and, 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 and just going back to your roots and, and um, leading a more simple life and, and, and going to the gym. And, and during that, I, I became part owner of a, a boxing combat gym in, in, in Canberra and, and became like, you know, consultant strength conditioning coach for the Olympic Games boxing team in 2012. And, and then um, through that, I've, I've met Jeff Horn and, and Cam Bates yeah. and a lot of people. So, it doesn't. Just, so, it so really. Really, I found another drug in, in sport again. He's, he's, and, he's helping other people. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and, and now, um, now I, um, yeah, in the last, you know, three four months, I've done. Yeah, before Christmas, I went to the Salvation Army at Duralang and, and uh, you know, gave out a hundred books and, and did a talk for a hundred people. And you know, that there were alcoholics that were this, and you know, I sat in front of them with my wife and gave them all the Christmas present, my book, and 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 um, I, I just. It was one of the happiest days of my life. You know, I, I left the place and, and I said, um, I got more happiness today than playing for a soccer room, playing in a soccer room match. Today was one of the, the greatest days of my life. And I sat there in front of 100 people in the chapel to Salvation Army and um, I said to them, I know you all got your problems. Uh, okay, I'm here from the Mariners. This is my role now, but I want you all to know that um, I should be dead and I was a cocaine and crack cocaine addict. Good on you, mate. So, Seriously, you, go, you are a, a pioneer of Australian football that I'm sure now the people in Australian football will look back on. I know there's people close to you like the Timmy yeah. Cahills of the world yeah, yeah. who yeah, have me, so much respect for you. You're changing the lives of kids now on the coast, but also not just sports people. Yeah. I feel now is like you know a moment in time where people go, what's your next project? What are you doing? Yeah, besides the football. You know, and I have a lot of big dreams, you know, uh, with Nick, you know, to, to continue, you know, working here and, 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 and you know, being successful here and, and, and impacting, you know, young footballers, footballers' lives positively. But, you know, one project is, you know, when you say about, you know, I've lived a, a grand life and done a lot of things, uh, not in an egotistic way, but, but, but I have. I've, I've lived a movie. You know, and I've seen the, you know, the Jerry Maguire's, the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, the, the James Bond movie. It's, and then you add Real Madrid and you add You're Beckham. all those movies together. Mate, they're all those movies together, you know, and whoever decides, you know, whether it's Netflix, whoever decides to turn this into a, you know, a Netflix series, um, a, a movie, and, 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 and whether they want to make it football or change it to a different code or about a guy that became an agent that was a footballer, was a pioneer, it's, it's, it's it whoever decides to grab it, be the greatest movie ever told, or one, of, or one of them. I've sat here for an hour. I could sit here for hours and hours. I wish I was Netflix, because I, I, I would be doing it. Mate, uh, well done on, any, on changing your life around. Thank uh, you. Well done. I've, I know people in your game that talk of you very, very highly. So um, I don't know if you know how much respect that people have for you in the game, but... Well, uh, well done on that. It's nice to know. Well I done really on that. Appreciate that. And uh, well done on not only changing footballers' lives, but people's lives now. Yeah, I, um, that's that's a big thing that I like doing. It, it's, you know, we talk. I'm in football now, so I talk a lot about that. But but, you know, if, if my book, if my story of of not even the football part, but the the part of conquering an addiction, um, you know, of of of, of seeing a lot of darkness and, uh, and not giving up and, and, and then coming back and then, you know, you know, I say to the guys at the, at the Glen Rehab, you know, if, you know, I, I was, 
I've been places you guys have been. We've probably crossed paths in Redfern at 3, 4 a.m., you know, 15, yeah. 20 years ago. Um, you know, and and here I am now, you know, in a great role at the Central Coast Mariners in the A-League, you know. Um, it, it, you know, don't give up, don't give up. You know, you just keep working hard and, 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 and you know, the other good thing is, you know, the other important thing is, you know, surround yourself with the right people, you know, surround yourself with winners, surround yourself with, with, with good people and, and, and ultimately I think that that's what you will be.